Streaming live from the DT Studios, this is Daily Turismo Radio, powered by European Motorworks. Here's your hosts, Vince Barbary, Chris Florin, and Ashley DeLuca. Hello, motorheads, and welcome to the Daily Turismo Radio Show, broadcasting live on talkradio1.com from our studio in scenic Gardena, California, home of the best goat rodeo this side of the Colorado River. That's only partly true. We, <laughs> we've got another great show in the hopper today. We have a j- guest joining us via Skype. We're going to have some fun. We'll play some games. We'll take some callers. In fact, uh, i got to do a little bit of housekeeping right now. Um, we have a new call-in number um, as we're part of the TalkRadio1.com family, and we're now connected to their switchboard. So um, if you want to call into the show, you can do it any time now, and the, num- the number is 213 291 9410. Once again, for anyone who's listening live, if you want to call in, 213-291-9410. But before I get too far ahead of myself, uh, let me introduce some of the other fish out of water in the studio with me today. Sitting across from me is, whoa, whoa, Ben, uh, what happened to Seaflow? Where'd this guy go? Dude, Seaflow went back to Colorado. He liked it so much he had to go back. He's in Colorado again? Again. Man, something, he said something about the brownies. We're He's, really good there. He must have like his card punched by now. That little <laughs> freaking green little card must be totally punched. Um, okay, so next, uh, instead of instead of Chris, is uh, Ashley, who rode here uh, on an Okapi today. Uh, no Okapi. I've got the uh, spinning Dorito mobile today. More Doritos. More Doritos. Well, you got the RX-7 is running now. The RX-7 is running. Wow. <laughs> oh, no way. That deserves some applause. That, that we're going to have to we'll have to check that out yeah. after the show. <laughs> um, and then next, hammering away like a Neanderthal and some mystery knobs and buttons and wearing a cape is producer Ben. And finally, joining us via Skype is Steve Leto, who is a successful attorney, an author, a writer, and a podcaster, all wrapped in an incredible bundle of energy and enthusiasm. Steve, thanks for joining us. I like to keep busy. What can I tell you? <laughs> <laughs> that was, uh, I really appreciate, it was sort of a, um, for our listeners, sort of a last minute thing because we had another uh, guest drop off and Steve, we, were, we had you in the queue. You were one of our guys to reach out to and when we reached out to you, you said you do it on a, on a you know, couple minutes notice, which is great. That is one of my claims to fame is I'm often fill-in guests for other people when they cancel at the last minute. <laughs> oh, I'm really no. good at that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but... Um, I, anyway, we, we wanted to talk to you um, first uh, about the books that you've, you're promoting. But first, I wanted to um, say that I know you, and I read you uh, Leto's uh, Law on, or, sorry, Leto's Law on Jalopnik, um, Opposite Lock. But it looks now like you're at Road and Track. Yeah, I migrated over. Um, so now I do a weekly call on Monday mornings on Road and Track. It's often about law, or the cars, or cars and the law. Okay, and and yeah. you said every Monday now. Yeah, yeah, and I've been uh, doing that for a couple of months now. So, and so uh, you're still remote, right? Dropnik, you're remote, and this is your your remote as well, right? Yeah, yeah. I just you know it's 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 one of the things I do to keep busy. Wow, <laughs> that's one <laughs> of the things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, I had two books come out this year. I write for Road and Track. I do a podcast, and I have a full law practice, and I'm also training for the Free Press Marathon. So I, <laughs> you wow. know, I, 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 I burn up a lot of daylight hours. I must drink a lot of coffee. Uh, Diet Coke by the gallon. Uh, <laughs> I, I was going to ask if you, if you write while you're running. Uh, no, but I talk to myself and that's how I figure out which words work well. 
Ah, very good. I talk to myself too, but it's just more because I have to deal with these guys in here. That's right. That's right. Yes. Um, all right. So, Steve, any um, any advice that you would give to someone who's looking to get a gig, like a regular columnist on something like like Road and Track? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. This is one of the most often asked questions on places like Opposite Lock. And 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 it's interesting because, you know, people will often say, hey, hey you know, how'd you get started? And I've got, you know, I've written 15 books. So if you look me up on Amazon, you'll find a whole slew of books. Some of them are out of print. Some of them are just, you know, recent books. But but people say, well, how'd you get started? And, and you know, it's it's really easy to write. We, we all learn to write in elementary school, okay? So the idea that you're going to sit down and write is not that difficult, but you've got to do it. And I know that sounds kind of mindless and stupid to say you just have to sit down and do it. But in reality, that's it. So if if you enjoy writing and 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 if you don't enjoy writing, don't don't go into it. OK, that's, again, that seems pretty, pretty straightforward, but you'd be surprised. So if you love to write, you find yourself enjoying what you write about. People tell you they enjoy reading what you've written. OK, and you get a kick out of that. You got to sit down and start writing and write what you know, because that'll probably be more, you know, be more fun and also be more, more correct and, and good. And, you know, if you, if you, then you look for places to put the writing up. So, you know, it's easy to get onto a place like Opposite Lock, you know, just get authorship privileges, which apparently they give to anybody now because, <laughs> you know, hey, I saw a thing today. Ask me anything. Um, that's every other post, it seems. Um, I'm, I'm kidding, of course. But um, so, you know, find a place to put your writing up and listen to feedback. Not everyone's going to give you good feedback and some of the feedback will be wrong, but you'd be surprised. People point stuff out to you like, oh my gosh, that's right. You know, that, I should do that or I should try that. And as you plug away at it and get yourself better at it, uh, you can become a better writer. You can get your stuff published someplace and you just plug away. And, you know, a lot of the writers you see on the front page of Jalopnik started out in a slush pile of opposite lock. Uh, and uh, surprisingly, not surprisingly, I guess, a lot of us over at Road and Track came from Jalopnik, you know. And uh, so, you know, it's, 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 it's just something you just start doing. You do it and you, and you plug away and eventually uh, people are paying you for it. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, I mean, obviously, for someone that's like looking to get into kind of the writing, uh, I guess, any sort of like automotive journalism, that seems like a kind of a good leeway to get into it. Um, but did you have any like mentors um, kind of like helping you get to where you are and like with the writing? Or is there anybody that you specifically look up to as a writer in your past, I guess? Well, you know, I write nonfiction. I, you know, I, you know, I've written 15 books and there's no fiction in any of it. It's, it's, it's nonfiction. Most of them are history books or car books. And I mean, I enjoy reading nonfiction. I can tell you a bunch of writers that I like and I, and I, you know, I read their stuff and I admire it and I try to look at it and ask myself, like, what are they doing that makes me like this so much? But when it comes to, you know, getting your stuff published, uh, one of the best pieces of advice I can tell you is look around on the internet and find places that publish what you like to read. And hopefully if you write like that, then you can pitch your stuff to them. So, you know, I found myself uh, actually corresponding with Tom McParland, who uh, does all the car buying advice on Jalopnik. And um, I forgot what we started talking about originally, but he posted something that was up my alley about lemon law or something. And I sent him a note and just said, hey, I'm an attorney. And by the way, you know, here's the here's my insight on what you just wrote about. And he liked what I wrote. And, and I, I think it was just an email. And he said, do you mind if I post that? And I'm like, no, go right ahead. I wasn't planning on it being published, but 
And a couple of times we kicked ideas back and forth. And then one day he goes, you know, you should just get authorship privileges. And I'm like, what's that? (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, I'd already written books at that time. I'd written magazine articles at that time. But even the magazine articles, I had an idea for a story. I'd approach a magazine that published the stuff that was similar to what I was going to write. And, you know, one of the little known facts about this uh, field is that every website, every magazine, every place that uses content is always looking for content, but they're looking for good content. So, you know, uh, Travis at Road and Track or, or, you know, Patrick at Jalopnik, they're looking for good stuff to post. They want stuff to post. But the problem is that they're not being uh, given enough of the best stuff to post. They're just seeing a lot of stuff out there. And you've got to be able to, you know, get a slightly above average to, to even get their attention. Uh, so it's important to plug away, but also to find out who's publishing what, you know, is similar to what you're writing and make sure you're pitching it to the right people. Yeah, and, and I think that, Steve, you have a pretty good niche, and, and that's kind of your um, contribution to whether it's Schlopnik or, or um, uh, Road and Track is you know, around the law stuff. And not everyone who writes has that same niche. Like, look at like a guy like Doug DeMuro. His <laughs> niche is like kind of this bizarre self-effacing comedy. You know? Yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of funny because, you know, Doug talks about how he had a job in the car industry and he quit it to start writing, which <laughs> many people would point out that, hey, Doug, you could have done both for a little while. Right. So I, I don't know, um, you know, whether he has another income in his household or not, uh, but I've been practicing law now for 25 years. It'll be 25 years in September. And the entire time I've been writing my 15 books, I've been working full time as a lawyer. And it's only been the last year or two where I could actually say, you know, something I can cut back on the law stuff if I wanted to, because my writing is actually paying a a, a decent income. Um, So, you know, the idea of quitting your job to become a writer is (laughs) very scary. Demuro did it. I got to, you know, I got to give him all all the props in the world. But uh, yeah, yeah, you know, me being able to write about the law as as it relates to cars you know, has given me a, a, a certain edge because a lot of guys who are write, writing about cars are just simply writing, well, I like cars, I'm going to write about them. And I can say, well, you know, I like cars too, but you know, let me explain to you the legal problems that arise with cars. And I give you examples of, you know, cases I've handled or clients I've worked with and so on. And I think it does uh, add a little, little something extra. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So Steve, let's talk a little bit about these books that you've, um, You've written now. Recently, you just uh, published the Preston Tucker and his battle to build the car of tomorrow. Yeah, you know, there was a movie a few years back uh, starring Jeff Bridges as Preston Tucker, and it's called Preston Tucker: The Man and the Dream. And you know, back after World War II, a guy named Preston Tucker from Michigan uh, started a car company, and he basically said, you know, I'm going to build a car from the ground up, brand new, to take on the big three. And there was a car shortage in America when the war ended because the American automobile industry had been commandeered by the War Department to make, you know, war munitions. And so when he announced this, he got a lot of traction from people who said, oh, my gosh, this guy's going to do it, you know. And he and he actually raised $20 million in an initial, you know, uh, public offering back in 1947 and 48. Uh, and he actually got access to the biggest, you know, manufacturing facility in the world in Chicago and started building cars. And then uh, I'm, I'm condensing the story here, but the government shut him down. The government came after him. Uh, we're not exactly sure why, but we know who did it. It was a guy named Harry McDonald at the Securities and Exchange Commission. And they wound up putting Tucker and his entire board of directors on trial for fraud. And after a very, very long trial, uh, him and his uh, board were all found not guilty on all counts as to all defendants. And, you know, they hadn't done anything wrong, but they were put out of business by, you know, I, I jokingly call it vindictive bureaucrats. Right. 
And I pointed out that, you know, what Tucker did back then is not much different than what, uh, you know, Tesla is doing today, Elon Musk, or even the guys at Elio, uh, you know, building little three-wheeled cars. Uh, those guys are taking deposits on vehicles that don't exist yet. And that was one of the criticisms they had of Tucker. So uh, I was surprised that nobody had written a book about Tucker prior to this. And there had been a couple books written, but they're all written by people who knew him too well. And they'd written these, you know, kind of slanted biographies. Mm. So I did the research, wrote the book, and it just came out about a month ago. And it's actually doing very well. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. You mentioned um, Musk. Uh, and I'm also thinking of like John Z. DeLorean. Mm -hmm. and, you know, these guys yeah. who had this um, this idea and they had this dream and they tried to pursue it. And then in the end, what kind of torpedoed them wasn't the their ability, but it's like sort of the odd outside factors, like, you know, a, a DEA, you know, trying to trying to frame him for, uh, you know, um, drug uh <laughs> international drug trafficking, right? You know, it's, yeah, De it's a, DeLoreans was the craziest one because you know he built the factory in Ireland of all places. Like, hey, <laughs> I want a manufacturing facility. Let's build it in Ireland. And so they build this factory in Ireland, and he runs into financial trouble. And somehow, and again, we don't know. He, you know, he claims he was entrapped, but he gets involved in a drug deal in Detroit. That's all caught on videotape back in the early days of video cameras. And uh, we've all seen the videotape of him, you know, swinging a, a cocaine deal. Uh, with you know dealer quantities and then getting arrested and uh, found not guilty I believe because he said well I was entrapped these guys you know kind of like you know egged me into this and uh, you know there's a parallel there on one level that you know he was found not guilty by a jury um, and and a lot of people say well you know it's, it's very very similar you know that that you know DeLorean had enemies and so did Tucker and so Steve how did you do um, a lot of the sort of the research on this on this book about Tucker what was your you know first sources did you i mean there's no other books about it so how'd you well find there's a out? ton of information about tucker because of all the trials and um the national archives in chicago has got a huge collection of tucker legal documents which i dug through and um there's also a tucker archive which right now is is held by the tucker automobile club of america and uh between those two sources i found pretty much everything i needed i found some other stuff scattered around but one of the things that I, I did find that was very interesting was I found a reference. Uh, there was a there's a finding aid at the uh, archives, and it had one one sentence, and it just simply said "transcript sealed." It was a sealed transcript. So I, I actually called the archivist and I said, "What is this sealed transcript?" And he goes, "I don't know. I'll go I'll go take a look at it." And he comes back and he goes, "There's a transcript. It's sealed by court order. You cannot look at it." And he showed it to me, and it was it was an envelope, and it was signed on both sides. It had these big stamps on it, you know, do not open, do not open. And it was sealed in like 1950 or 1949. It was, it was crazy how long ago this thing was sealed. And so I actually went to court in Detroit. I hired an attorney, I kid you not, because, <laughs> because it had to be filed in federal court. I know a guy who specializes in federal court actions. I hired an attorney and had him go into federal court and file a legal action to unseal that transcript. And we actually got a judge to look at it. And he actually opened it up and he read it. And he's trying to figure out why it was sealed because this was sealed so long ago that the order sealing it was lost. And the judge finally said, you know something, I have to let this thing you know, get out into the public because I don't see a reason why it was sealed. And so I got my hands on this document that I can actually prove that was not been seen by human eyes for like 50 years. It's the craziest thing, 60 years. And it turned out to be the transcript of a guy named Joseph Turnbull who was the primary witness in Tucker's criminal trial where he was found not guilty. And after that trial ended, Tucker sued a bunch of uh, news organizations for slander and libel and defamation. 
And during those actions, he took the deposition of Joseph Turnbull and asked him, in essence, you know, what was the basis of the prosecution against me? And Turnbull, under oath, said basically, you know something? There was nothing there. I, I don't remember any of it. I don't know anything about it. It was all a bunch of nothing. And Turnbull backpedaled on everything that he'd said at the trial. And it was fascinating. And then, of course, after he testified that way, his attorneys ran to court and had the transcript sealed. And they did that because they recognized that that transcript showed that Tucker was basically innocent. Wow. Yeah. That's uh, the legal system. <laughs> it's, it's amazing sometimes. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's boggling because nowadays it's very, very difficult to get a transcript like that sealed. And that's one of the reasons we got it open is, is the judge said, he goes, you know, nowadays we have a tendency to not seal something unless it's like national, you know, of national importance or something. So so that's one of the reasons we got it unsealed. But it was just surprising to see this, you know, transcript sealed as, as a description in an archive finding aid. Nice. Wow. Um, all right. So, Steve, before I get to start, I want to talk to you about this, uh, the Dodge Daytona and the, Daytona and the Plymouth Superbird. Um I want to give out the phone number one more time uh, for people who are listening. If you want to call in and you want to ask Steve about any of these uh, Tucker or the uh, Daytona and the Superbird, um, 213-291-9410 is our call-in number. Um, But, uh, Steve, let's talk about this book you wrote. I believe it came out earlier this year. Um, Mm -hmm. Dodge Daytona and a Plymouth Superbird Design, Development, Production, and Competition. Yeah, you know, NASCAR nowadays, they call it stock car racing, but those cars are not stock. And back in the 1960s, they actually would race stock cars. If you went to the track and watched stock car racing in 1965, the cars on the track, other than the paint jobs and the wheels they were using, looked like regular cars. They had the same bodies and everything. And so back then they raced stock cars. And so, you know, the the car companies started investing in racing. And about 1968 or 67 or 68, the cars got too fast. They became dangerous. And they were hitting speeds about 180 miles an hour. And in that year, I'm talking about 1967, 68, those two years, uh, Dodge put a car out called the Dodge Charger, which, of course, is a very well-known car. The you know, Dukes of Hazard car generally is Dodge Charger 69. And the first-generation Charger was supposed to be their car that they're going to be racing that year in, in, in 66. And when they brought it to um, uh, Daytona, and put the biggest engine, which is the Hemi, in it. They would, uh, people like like you know Buddy Baker would get in it and get out of the car and go, oh my God, this thing's dangerous. It's dangerous because <laughs> at high speeds the cars would lift off the ground and they wouldn't steer. Meaning that you'd you'd be going down the straightaway, you'd go to turn left and the car wants to go straight, which is not a good thing. So they they said, what can we do to make these cars go fast but also handle better? And they were completely flummoxed by this. And so Chrysler had a missile division. They actually had a, a, they built rockets for the government. So one of the racing guys goes, wait a second, let's go get the missile guys over here and ask them what they would do to make these cars go faster <laughs> because they suspected the answer wasn't horsepower, it was aerodynamics. And an engineer named John Pointer, who's an aerodynamics guy, fascinating guy, interviewed him like three times. John Pointer looked at the charger and he goes, well, I, I know the solution, but you're not going to like it. And they said, no, 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 seriously, anything you want to do, what would you do? And he goes, anything? And they said, yeah. And he pulls out a, a, a magic marker and he draws a nose cone in the front of the car and this huge outlandish wing on the back of the car. It's like three feet off the deck lid. He goes, you put that wing, that nose cone in that car, it'll do 200 miles an hour and it'll be safe. It'll, it'll handle. And 
the, the guy who asked him to do that, Larry Rathgeb, said, are you sure? And, and I mean, John Pointer thought he was joking. And John Pointer said, yeah, but you're not going to do it. And he goes, yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. So they got, <laughs> you know, they got permission to do this. And they sent John Pointer up to the Chelsea Proving Grounds, which is this huge oval near um, uh, Chelsea, Michigan. And they basically sent him out there with a charger and said, mock up nose cones and wings. And when you get the right you know, formula for it, we're going to build them and we're going to start making these cars. And it, it, it culminated in 1969 where they actually had a car, a Dodge Charger Daytona. It's a Dodge Charger with a big nose cone on the front, a wing on the back. If you ever saw one, you know what I'm talking about. Yep. And that car was tested in a wind tunnel. And they actually realized that on paper it would do 200 miles an hour. And it would stick the track like a slot car. And but the problem, of course, is to make them legal for NASCAR, they've got to sell them to the public because it's got to be. So they did this backwards. They built the race car and sold it to the public to make it stock. They didn't build a stock car, and make a race car. They <laughs> built a race car and sold it as a stock car. And I know it's mind blowing. They had to sell 500 of them to make them legal. So they sold 500 to the public. And then all the guys who raced Dodges that year got them. So Bobby Isaac got one. Buddy Baker got one. Charlie Glotzbeck got one. And these things dominated. They were they were so much faster than anything else out there. The first car to ever do a documented 200 mile an hour lap on a NASCAR track was Buddy Baker in one of these cars did 200. The following year, Bobby Isaac took one to Bonneville Salt Flats and set a world record for a stock bodied car at 216 miles per hour in a flying mile. That is a car with a four barrel carburetor. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> it's mind blowing. And, and then everyone knows, of course, that Plymouth built a car similar to it in 1970, which is a Plymouth Superbird, and they did that for Richard Petty. And Richard Petty drove one in 1970. Uh, he had another guy on his team named uh, Pete Hamilton who also drove one. And in 70, these cars just, just destroyed the field in NASCAR, and it got to be so bad that Bill France, who controls NASCAR, actually said in 1971, guys, you have a choice. You can have aerodynamics or a big engine, but you can't have both. And they basically outlawed the cars because they were too fast for racing. And and that's sort of the end story to every great racing story. Yeah. Right. It's banned technology, whether it's Jim Hall's uh, sucker car or, you know, yep. Yep. all those other crazy <laughs> things that have always made racing fun and interesting. Yeah. Believe it or not, at one point in time, Bill France actually suggested you guys should just race slower. <laughs> and, and now Bill France had been a racer. He'd raced back in the 40s. So he had driven stock cars. But he's telling guys like, no, no, guys, just race slower. And they're like, dude, that doesn't make any sense. Makes no sense. You know, you don't race. You race faster. You know, right. Yeah. Well, and honestly, uh, you know, NASCAR today is, is sort of boring from a car on a technical perspective. I mean, uh, they finally have fuel injection now, but, you know, it's not. It's not exciting. I mean, the racing is interesting, and they you know they crash into each other occasionally, and, and there's personalities. But as far as the cars, it would be such a better sport if they were racing like Camrys, you know, actual yeah. front-wheel drive Camrys with the original engines that they could put the biggest intake manifolds and exhausts they wanted on it. Uh, it would it would be more interesting sport. The original beginnings of NASCAR, and I know they always have this this myth about how it was moon, you know moonshiners yeah, outrunning the revenuers. In reality, where not NASCAR stock car racing evolved from was if you go back to the old communities back in the twenties and thirties, uh, every community had a horse track. You know, the county fairgrounds had a horse track, the state fairgrounds had a horse track, and every single time they had a fair or a festival, you'd end it with a big old horse race, and everyone would bring their horse and you'd race, and and the people were racing. It wasn't professional jockeys it was you brought your horse and you'd race the neighbor you know against the guy down the street or down the road against his horse and they realized that in the 30s and 40s as cars became more common that people weren't bringing their horses anymore they're driving there 
So they said, you know something? After the horse races, let's have a car race. Whatever you brought, you can race. And and it, it was so democratic. It made so much sense. And everybody thinks their car is the fastest. So you'd have horse races and then car races. And pretty soon the car races became so popular, they began to dominate what people came to see. And that's where stock car racing came from. But the problem is that that after, and, and I, I like to point out this, that the winged cars are one of the things that pushed NASCAR into what it is today, unfortunately. Because when they outlawed the winged cars, they basically came to the conclusion, we're going to race slower, we're going to race more boring, but we're going to turn it into like a circus. It's going to be fun to watch because of all the bright colors and, and the personalities and the big show and the pageantry and the gala. But in reality, the cars are going to all be a half a mile an hour within, you know, within each other's uh, speeds. And um, yeah, you're right. There'll be an accident here or there. But but you, like literally you, you park these cars next to each other and ask a stranger, you know, somebody go, Tell me what manufacturer built each car. They go, I don't know. They all look alike. And they, they are alike. They're the same. Yeah. You, you know, Toyota had to, and, and I say this because we know a, a Toyota uh, TRD, you know, racing engineer, but they had to develop a pushrod V8 yeah. for NASCAR. Like, right. and, and they, they, it's just something they didn't have. They never made one. It was not. <laughs> so they had to, like, basically take a Chevy 350 and sort of reverse engineer it and develop mm-hmm. their own version of it. Yeah, which makes no sense. Ridiculous. You know, but they call it stock car, which, which, which again, like I said, is is, is a misnomer. Yeah, yeah, it's. it's uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? In uh, in Siena, Italy, the, to this day, they still do a uh, classic horse race where like medieval descendants of medieval families race on the horses. Really? Not with jockeys. Yeah, you can see pictures of it. You just like look huh. up Siena, Italy horse racing it's the most it's it's fantastic because it's full-grown like you know men in these really colorful outfits racing around the town square where the inside of the track in this dirt you know town square is filled with people it looks hmm. incredible i've always thought that nascar once a year just as a lark should pick one of their biggest tracks daytona talladega mis whatever it is and say you know something we're going to do an actual stock car race that is Anybody can bring anyone, you know, list like 10 cars, you know, Ford Taurus or whatever. It's got to be a full-size car off this list. You bring that car, and we're going to go back to the old NASCAR rules, which is you have to, uh, you know, have have a a roll cage, a safety harness, and tape over the glass, and the engine's got to be stock, um, and to to some extent, you know, but you can slap on a different exhaust maybe, and uh, we'll put a million dollars up for the winner. And <laughs> you'd have about a million people show up who want to qualify because remember back in the old days, anybody could race, bring a car and, and, and show up and you can race. You know, that's how they did it back then. And that to a certain extent, that's still the case because there are guys who make um, sort of side cash by showing up and fielding that 43rd and 44th car or whatever the number is in NASCAR. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you just race like one lap at yeah. Daytona, you get like a tremendous amount of the prize money. It is and for showing up, right? Right, and so there are guys who will race that one lap, and that's it, and they'll do that every year. If they, if they can qualify in there, they'll <laughs> race that lap because they make more money than what it costs them to prep the car for right. the race. So it's a... Uh, but it would be pretty spectacular to see like a throwback race of something, yeah, like what we were saying, like actually have stock cars going through and like actually having real people, you know, go and just take you know, take out an actual stock car instead of just having some crazy modified, you know, copycat of every every other car that's on the track. Yeah, I know a lot of the guys I interviewed for this book, I interviewed a bunch of old time racers, including I interviewed guys who were on race teams, like the guys who worked in the pits. You know, crew members for Bobby Isaac, the year he won the national championship in 1970, were paid like 25 bucks a day. 
You know, I mean, these are, you know, nowadays these guys in the pit crews are like pros and stuff. Yeah. But you'd find guys who actually went to races, like they drove their own vehicle down. You know, they, they, they put the vehicle on a trailer, but then they drove the truck themselves down to the racetrack. And they would try to find two or three guys to help them. They may not, may not even have a crew, you know. And there were guys doing that in the 60s, you know. And I, I met these guys and they're like, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I, I you know, I, I was lucky if I finished the race. But I got to race against, you know, Richard Petty and, you know, Bobby Isaac and Buddy Baker. <laughs> they were on the same track racing those guys. Right. And it was also a time when, uh, like, experience counted for something more than just reflexes. You know, oh, yeah. Racing, particularly, oh, yeah. like, you know, open wheel racing. Um, yeah. It's, it's all about the uh, how fast the reflexes are. And everyone knows that it, it sort of experience almost means nothing because it's been cataloged and written down too many times. Right. How to, right. How to drive. <laughs> but, but if you want to watch a, a sport, if you want to watch a racing sport where the old guys still do well, Red, mm -hmm. Red Bull Air Race. They're guys in okay. their 50s piloting. It's this, if you ever see it, it's incredible. Uh, they, they fly these airplanes, these little single engine planes through this yep. crazy yep. obstacle course. And there's guys like in their 50s who, who are like ex, you know, military pilots and stunt pilots, and they still do well. They're still competitive. I think there's also some older gentlemen doing well in uh, the, the top fuel dragsters, you know? Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, it's a three second race, but <laughs> reaction time counts. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Experience of not dying, I think, is the trick. Um, yeah. All right, so um, Steve, hey, that's all the time that we have. We're gonna take a break in a minute, but um, I wanted to say thank you so much for for calling in and sharing um, some of your time with us. Oh, absolutely, I had a great time. And um, if uh, if anyone wants to 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 read your books, uh, obviously you can get them on Amazon, or do you want to promote another site? Actually, you can look up all my stuff on latoslaw.com, which is l e h t o s l a w dot com. That's my website. You can find all my podcast stuff there. You can find my books there. You can find my legal practice there. Just latoslaw.com. Okay. All right. I'll direct people in that direction. Um, and like I said, Steve, thank you so much for, for talking to us. And, Anytime. Um, if you ever uh, want to take a guest on your on your radio show, your podcast, just uh, call us up and uh, <laughs> we can, uh, you know, uh, return the favor. Absolutely. <laughs> Shameless self-promotion. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> Why not? Thank you very much, Steve. I appreciate it. Yeah, perfect. Hey, you're Thank welcome. you. All right, take care. All right, so that was Steve Leto, uh, Leto's Law. Uh, good guy, character, knows a lot about cars, knows a lot about the law. That's a it's a win-win combination right there. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I wish everybody, you know, like that'd be amazing to have yeah. that many skills and you. <laughs> I know. I think that's a case of experience too. I think you guys have been doing it long enough. That, that, the, doing. the Tucker book sounds really interesting. I mean, I remember when that movie came out. I don't know. You guys might be a little too young, but that was like that was the car that had the the front headlight that was in the middle that kind of mm -hmm. turned as the steering wheel turned. And um, yeah, I remember seeing that movie and how the guy kind of got a raw deal from the government. So just the fact hearing of the you know the sealed evidence and everything like that that was sealed for fifty years. And he was able to get a hold of it. That's just, that's pretty cool. Yeah, well, buy his book and uh, read it. And then um, you can Lato's, give a review. Latoslaw.com is what he said. That's what he said, yeah. And then right. you're going you're gonna to do a review for the, for the next Seaflow's uh, News, I think. We're going to do Ben's book review. That's what I want. I want Ben's book reports. That's <laughs> now, what I want. Now, you, now you're assuming I can read, Vince. Come that's on. That's true, yeah. <laughs> All right, so we're going to take a break. Uh, but when we get back, we're going to, well, hopefully we'll have some callers. People can call in and yell at us. Um, but we're going to do some games and then um, from the website.
You're listening to Daily Turismo Radio. week's Blue Glove Tool Review, brought to you by DailyTurismo.com. If you're anything like me, you spend a fair bit of time crawling around under cars or climbing up on ladders to do some kind of home improvement or car improvement project, and you'll often find that you've got some tools in your hand, but you don't have anywhere to put your hardware or maybe additional spare tools And so they wind up going in your pocket, on the ground, or worse, in your mouth. And this is never a good thing when you're working with, like, screws or or nails or little asbestos-coated pieces of radioactive lead. So the guys at MagnoGrip came up with a simple and brilliant solution. For just under $8, you can get a magnetic wristband from DailyTurismo.com. You head over there and you look for a Blue Glove Tool Reviews and click on the link and we'll make a few nickels if you buy one. But it's, it's a magnetic wrist strap that allows you to store extra tools, say some wrenches, or even hardware. If you've got hardware for your for the job, if you're putting together some suspension in your car, you can have the bolts right there on your wrist. They'll be magnetically attached to it via the magical powers of magnetism. Or um, it works great for like drywall screws. You're screwing a bunch of drywall into your home or you're using them to like hang pictures, whatever you do with drywall screws. Um, but you can also hold paper clips with them. Say you're in an office and you want some paper clips or say you're you're doing some arts and crafts at home with your kids and you put bobby pins on it. Um, and it, it's really, uh, it's a very versatile tool. You can even strap it on your ankle and, and put like a, you know, a, a pair of scissors down there if you're really into this kind of kind of crazy stuff. So. For just under $8, go get yourself the Magno Grip uh, Magnetic Wristband, and you can head over to DailyTurismo.com and go buy it. Don't worry, we won't tell your wife. Caswell from Build Race Party. You're listening to Daily Turismo Radio. Hey guys, we're back on the air. If, if you're just joining us, um, we we're talking with Steve Leto, uh, Leto'sLaw.com, about um, Preston Tucker and his automobile, about um, Plymouth Superbirds and Dodge Daytonas. Was All good, the amazing books that he's written and that he's a lawyer and <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was a good superhuman, <laughs> right? No, no, it was a it was a good interview. It's a, a guy he seen. Yeah, he's got to have like a twin brother or something like that. You know, there's no way that he gets all that done. I mean, two books, like a clone. You're ex- saying exactly. He's got a, yeah. He's like multiplicity. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe um, maybe a mute wife. I don't know. Can you imagine? That? Come on. <laughs> <That's like heaven. laughs> I'm just like, sorry. I'm I love you, honey. No, really. <laughs> it wouldn't be like heaven. I take it all back. Uh, um, so. <laughs> on that yeah, note. On. That's, that's kind of, yeah. It was a, a, good, a good interview. Um, 
we are going to do a little game. We're going to play a little game. Now, guys, if you want to call in and be part of our game, or if you just want to call in and, like, say, listener Dan, if you're listening, you want to call in and yell at us about something, uh, the number is we've got this new switchboard setup where we can take multiple callers at one time, and it's a little more complex, but it's good because it's more uh, more like a real radio show. We are a real radio show. Who am I kidding? Uh, 213-291-9410. Call in. That's the talkradio1.com switchboard. Call in and we'll get you on the air and uh, we'll have your airing of grievances. It's going to be Festivus here today in <laughs> August. Everyone's <laughs> looking like I'm weird. Uh, what will be your first grievance there, Producer Ben? Come on. Give us some grievance. I best keep my mouth shut. Ah, man. <laughs> Ashley, anything? Grievances. Grievances. Yeah, airing come of on. grievances. The food, the liquor. Yeah. I mean, come on. The pizzas we've got like no more hot and ready pizzas. <laughs> That's it. You're done with them. No yeah. more pizzas. Exactly. No more hot and ready. There, there you go. That's perfect. <laughs> That's my grievance too. No more hot and readies. I know the hot and readies. Yeah, we had too much little Caesars. Um, if you own a restaurant and would like to drop some food by, you know, shoot me an email. DT Radio at Daily Turismo. Yeah, we are looking for food sponsor spots. This is true. Well, we're just looking for free food, and but well, you know, we'll give you a shout out and everything. That's, that's yeah, absolutely. We'll name the show after you for free food. <laughs> um, so we're gonna do a little game called Best Car Four. But actually, I'm gonna make it. A, it's gonna be a twist today. It's Best Co-Driver Four. So we're gonna take turns deciding on the best person who will go along with you on a particular activity. Okay, so you pick the person. It can be a famous person. It could be someone you know well. It could be you know. <laughs> it just has to be a person to take with you and. Um, can it be an animal? Yeah, that's what I was. It can be an animal, but it can't be the same animal every single time. Yeah. So you, yes, it could be an animal. You Shucks, can you can take an animal can't come once. With me every single time. Um, okay. As long as he can drive, <laughs> as long as he can drive. Um, so the first thing is best co-driver for driving at a dirt track, uh, like track day. Hmm. Actually. My roommate used to do dirt oval racing back um, when he was really young. So I know he's not famous or anything like that. But okay, shout that out to my roommate Nick Romano. <laughs> doesn't Uh-oh. Nick can Nick can yeah that's totally fine. <laughs> be yeah, a- he would be probably really good because he started out um, racing like quarter midgets, I think, and then kind wow. of moved up, and then now he does um, just. I don't know, all types of track events and does time attack stuff and wheel-to-wheel stuff, so he'd probably be a good good co-driver. Yeah, hooning on a dirt track, that, that takes a particular, like, skill set. Yep. And so he's, <laughs> yeah. Producer Ben, who, who are you taking along with you? Um, I can't think of his name. Um, I, Maybe it was Ernie Stewart. Who was a NASCAR driver that killed that other guy on the dirt track? Tony Stewart. Tony Stewart, that's it. Yeah, that's what I'd take. <laughs> 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 Especially if you're on the track, Vince. They, you know yeah. what? That's you know. Okay, so so I'm gonna pull one from the same same as Ashley. I'm gonna take D Wood, oh. our pal, and it's just, so we all know Ashley and Ben know who D Wood is. <laughs> D Wood, if you're listening, you know who you are. And here's the reason why: is that first off, he's a very talented uh, driver. Okay, he can drive any car, and he, he just puts him in a car, and he just drives, and he goes fast. He, he's he's very good at that. But more importantly, is he's like very quiet guy. He's like subdued, and so like. You don't have to deal with a bunch of like, conversation. Like He'll just say, oh, we're going to drive? Okay, let's go drive. And then he'll just be quiet the whole time. You'd have this peace in this car as you raced around this track. No one would be trying to... If it was your turn to drive, no one would talk to you. He's like pro K1, 
like go kart racer too. So he is very fast at K one. In fact, the only time I ever beat him at K one was when we got him so entirely drunk, so many Irish car bombs that he didn't remember it the next day, and that was the only <laughs> way I could actually beat him. It was barely. He's yeah, fast. I was lucky. You got a fast car. It probably was. <laughs> yeah, so he probably got a slow car. Uh, okay, so the next one is best co-driver for um, sleeping while the other guy's driving. Hmm. So the person in the car is sleeping? No, or? you're sleeping okay. and the other guy's driving. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, like, you know, cross country. <laughs> hmm. Producer Ben go first. I'm thinking about this one. I got to get a good one for this. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't say my wife, Vince. Oh, wow. So you, so you would actually close your eyes and fall asleep while your wife was driving that's a vehicle. How, oh, you're that, getting that, back that, into the how, good wow. graces yeah, well, after the wow. comment earlier wow. actually, about... No, that's how I prefer to, to, to ride with her, now, with my eyes now, closed and unconscious. Before you fall asleep, <laughs> while she's you wouldn't need to wheel. turn your chip in or anything. That's... <laughs> <laughs> because... With my eyes closed and unconscious is the best way to ride with my wife. That's... that's <laughs> yes. That's how... Yeah. <laughs> I'm so in trouble after the show. I'll be moving Seriously into in the studio. <laughs> okay, so um, before Ashley, Ashley, I'm going to jump in ahead of you. Here's what, here's what I'm going to go with. Odd job from the James Bond movie. Because remember, he's a chauffeur. He's a guy who throws <laughs> he's his a hat. Guy with a hat, yeah. But he's a chauffeur. He is um, Goldfinger's chauffeur, and he drives this like really nice. Uh, it's a it's got the convertible front. What do they call that? Um, it's not a Landau or a Brougham. Some other anyway. It's a um, big Rolls. And you know he's gonna drive it slowly when he needs to, but at the same time he's a, he's fast enough where he needs to race against James Bond. He can do that, and so I'd feel totally comfortable with a professional chauffeur who could also kill people with his hat <laughs> while driving. Yes, that makes sense. Clearly, hmm. I'd probably have to go with um, who was it? The main guy that was in uh, Death Race two thousand. That was uh, Caraway, Caraday. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what Bill? What's his last but name? You talking to the the actor or the yeah. character? Um, no, the actor. I I thought it was um. Oh boy, now now I'm getting it wrong. Um. Ah, oh, I can't I remember his name. That's always how. My... David Carradine. David Carradine. Yes. There you go. Okay. He would be a really. He'd be like a really good driver while I was sleeping I feel like from the movie just as like the character from the movie obviously not real life not really <laughs> you wouldn't want to, in a death race yeah so. he's not, I don't he's not alive anymore but that would be right that would be kind of yeah, <laughs> that's a very yeah, slow he, drive he won the death race yeah <laughs> oh Ooh, boo <laughs> no but yeah I feel like from that movie it would be okay <laughs> he'd be pretty interesting to have yeah avoiding all the people and stuff from the movie Trying okay. not to run people over, that'd be good. All right. So the next one is the best co-driver for crashing a car. Now, you are the one crashing the car, and this is the person in the passenger seat. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say your wife, Ben. You're in trouble. It's a trap. Don't say it. <laughs> <laughs> you better go first, Vince. <laughs> Man, I was waiting for Ashley to go first. For crashing, the best yeah, person... Yeah, you are crashing a car, and this person is in the passenger seat next to you. Uh, who do I hate? <laughs> I well, this know. is like, you know, you, I would pick D. Wood in this case. <laughs> <laughs> you can only pick him once. You already picked him. I was telling you to pick him. But uh, uh, I would pick you, Vince. 
Oh, yes, wow. You. Only, but it would. Would you put to, your it, hand it, out and try to like you you it, stop me from it, falling it, to the? It airbag? would be in the STI with the Takata airbag. That's how I would want you in the STI. <laughs> I would crash your STI with the Takata with, air. With, with you having the Takata airbag, the, the right rusty shrapnel in my face airbag. That's terrible. Exactly. <laughs> that's you know what, Ben. That's that makes that's sense. Okay. It makes sense. See, I'd crash with you in the Mustang because there's no airbags. <laughs> with the and I put the seatbelts in myself, so they're just going to come right out. <laughs> with the non-tempered glass oh, yeah. windshield. <laughs> I'd have some generic political elected, some some candidate that's running in the election just like... H- Hillary Trump, yeah. 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 Right. The Hillary Trump yeah. com- combination, we can like... Yeah, they can sit on top of each other, and they can be in my car when I crash. Exactly. Some spikes, yeah, that... spikes where the airbag used to go. Yeah. yeah, it'll literally be like death proof, and then they get to sit on this like other side of the caged car. And I, yes, I like that one. That's good. Yeah, that Political is characters. That's good. Yes. I think you think you won that round. <laughs> um, okay, so the final round is um, for best co-driver is uh, your. Competing in a Red Bull Air Race, which is where you fly the little planes, but you're doing it in a 737. Who is your co-pilot? Snoopy, duh. <laughs> <laughs> she wins again, actually. Come on, the Red Baron. That's like. <laughs> no, oh, this. That, that, no, that, that's. I uh, just. Wow, <laughs> that sucks. She went first. <laughs> I, I would have to say, my friend. Um, Shout out to my boy Derek, who went to the Air Force Academy. Flies, he flew just for twenty years for the Air Force, so he now flies for, well, a freight company that will remain nameless. It's not mm. the one I work for, mm. so, but yeah, I would trust him to fly the Red Bull Aries. Yeah. Okay, so I'm gonna pick uh, Captain Sully Sullenberger, who uh, downed the plane, the Hudson. He's the one that landed the plane, the Hudson. Uh, Wasn't he drunk when he did that? No, he was. He was so. If you should listen, if you haven't listened to the the air traffic control like like thing where where he calls and says he has bird strike, he's got no engines, and and they say can you try to you know uh, land here, and he says we don't have time for that. I'm going down the, in the Hudson. It, it's he's so calm when he's saying um, I won't make it to that airport. I'm gonna you know ditch a plane in the Hudson River, <laughs> and then he does it. I mean, it's just you and listen he was to so it. nonchalant about it. Like people yep. were like, "You're a hero," and he's like, "Meh, nope, it was just my job." <laughs> yeah, right. It was just like another landing. You know, I landed plenty of times. Just landed in the water this time. <laughs> so that, that's who I take in the in the uh, Red Bull Air Race in a seven thirty seven. I think Ashley still wins. Snoopy. <laughs> yeah. Snoopy. Yeah. Well, I yeah. Yes, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay, so that was uh, best car for or best co driver for. Uh, if you wa- guys want to call in, um, I will give the phone number another time, 213-291-9410. And uh, we can join in in the next game or in, in uh, just yelling at us if we get something wrong. That'd be fantastic. If we, if we uh, offend you. Yes. We should start offending people. It probably happens more people. than it should, That's I'm sure. <laughs> yes. Uh, so the next is- Especially my wife. Right, yeah. No, no, that actually she shouldn't call in. That'd no, be yeah. That'd be bad. I can screen that one though. Um, we should start talking about Volvos. I bet we can get Chris to call in. It's like bait. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's like hanging out there like, yeah. <laughs> Volvo. Mm. Just wait for it. Exactly. It's like, a, it's, like a, it's like a red dot with a cat. He just can't refuse. You know, he's just got to chase it. <laughs> yeah. Say Volvo, Volvo, Volvo. <laughs> it's got a rotty Say it piece of sand. and he'll appear in the studio. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, so now we're doing from the website, which we don't have a fancy drop for that yet, do we, Ben? No, I'm not no. sure I'm going to give okay. you a fancy drop. He doesn't want to. Not until your website guys, your website guys actually start listening to the show will I give you a fancy drop. Oh, okay. Fair enough. So, yeah. Uh, so from the website, delitourismo.com, um, we've got the car of the week. And so I'm going to kick this off with the what I consider the car of the week is the Rolls-Royce Silver Spur from 1984 <laughs> that is decorated with the most insane hand-painted um, pictures of peacocks and feathers that you've ever seen. And it was a car owned by someone whose name of, I'm going to massacre his name, Bhagwan Shreesh Ranish, Rajneesh. Um, he was later named, named, uh, known by a nickname Osho. And he was an Indian um, meditation guru kind of guy. And he had these followers in India and he kind of got kicked out. He's chased away by angry fathers or husbands because his meditation technique involved a lot of sex. And anyway, he wound up in Oregon where he had this commune of like 2,000 people with him. And he had all these crazy Rolls Royce. And they were painted up with like peacock feathers. And this thing's on um, on Hemmings for about 45 grand, which is a lot to pay for a, a car. But the peacock feathers is just... Uh, it's incredible to see this <laughs> car all decorated and, and insane. Uh, but obviously, I wouldn't buy that car. What's the car you'd buy? Um, the car I'm going to oh, buy is the 1977 Chevy Monza Mirage. And um, it was, I think it was written up by Matt. And it's this um, uh, crazy, is you know, IMSA-inspired dealer white and package. Blue one? Yeah, red, white, and blue. The and Americana it, version? Yeah, it's got, it's just, it's the, the aftermarket, obviously, the, the hood scoop. This has got this crazy blower, you know, kind of style. Um, flapper valve uh, sticking out of the top of the hood and it just looks like America I mean it's it's just Chevy Monza which is a pretty <laughs> terrible car but then it's got this crazy paint job and this big blower and y- you would just have fun wherever you went with that car 12 grand though Vince 12 grand's a bit much but you know it's um uh Vince you're not allowed to have <sighs> any more cars <laughs> <laughs> you have that recorded <laughs> <laughs> That's like Ben's favorite drop, that I is, think. That is my favorite drop. <laughs> that and that is my wife, in case yes. you're wondering. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Ashley, you got any uh, favorites? Well, I'm kind of a sucker for old Japanese cars, mm. so my favorite car from the past week was the... <laughs> it's stated as the plain vanilla wrapper 1970 Honda N600. All right, yes, that car. So... Um, I really like, I don't know, I'm just all about small cars. I just think they're so much fun to drive. And, I mean, even though there wasn't anything, like, super spectacular about this car, it was just, yeah, like the title says, it was just kind of like a very vanilla car. It, I mean, sometimes those are the most fun. It's got some, like, really cool red interior. You've got, like, the little... How much, how much horsepower did this thing make? It was like 40-something horsepower. Like Yeah, not a lot, right? Yeah, like 600cc engine, just like a little car to put around in. But it was so tiny, and you can get into tiny spaces. And I'm sure, I mean, when I was living in Japan, like having a small car to park in places was like invaluable. And um, yeah, I don't know. This one seemed like it was in pretty good condition for it being like a 1970 that was on the site. And I think they were only selling it for $5,000. Yeah, no, so that that actually cheap. seemed like a good deal. Yeah, it's too. like a super good deal. <laughs> and you know, for uh, it's actually kind of fun to drive a car that you have to go wide open throttle to keep up with traffic. Yeah, I <laughs> you, mean... know, you have to like, <laughs> rag on it to keep up with traffic. That's actually you know, so that's, it's something that's that small. Fun. Can you, you even do an engine swap in it? Oh yeah, people yeah. drop liter uh, sport bike engines those all the time. 
yeah, but how much fun would that be if you got like a little car like that and then dropped in like a Hayabusa motor or something like that? And yes. <laughs> <laughs> it'd be so much fun and it's so I, cute. So the the it's, suspension would come apart in about, you know, your first turn. You'd no, you just you just burn the front tires up constantly. Worth yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I'm single, okay? <laughs> this is why she was not picked as a co-driver. Right. <laughs> uh, ben, any cars that you like? Well, Vince, uh, you know, you on your Thursday Twister this week, you had Ooh. a great post there, Vince. I mean, I don't know where you got the idea for this. Oh yeah, the um, coach built. Yeah, that was yeah, uh, the I just coach built. Yeah. I was in a room. I was meditating with the guru Osha, and um, <laughs> which sounds very strange if you, when you consider that there's something called the Osha, the yes. Occupational Safety Hazard Administration, which is this Osho. Uh, and I just um, this little voice came to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just I'm like sure. coach built cars. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what happened. Ben, <laughs> yeah. ben called mm-hmm. me and, and suggested I should do like a thing about coach built cars. And, and so he does like this two paragraph post. I, I did it, and then I didn't even Zach, like, give him the, credit. The, the commenter Zach actually did way more work than you did, Vince. I don't know so. if you've read the website, Ben, but that's generally the case actually, in true. most posts. <laughs> so, but the that's commenters, my, that's the my lifeblood, car. man, lifeblood. The '89 Volvo 780 Bertoni. Yeah, you like that one? Well, I think you know it was a great idea. You know, I like the I, I like the the fact that it's coach built. You know. Right, the built the, the, Tony. Yeah, exactly. Now, do you and, like the fact that it doesn't look like every other Volvo from that era, which was these boxy menaces? Exactly, exactly, exactly. It's got yeah. Because I think we can all agree that that Volvos from the '80s were pretty ugly. Yes, but I would encourage everyone to go to the site and, and look at all look at all the comments too. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Actually, how do you feel about? Give us your true, honest opinion. Here we go. How do you feel about I need, Volvos? I need, I need a from the '80s. Volvo talking drum. Volvos from the '80s. Yes. Or just Volvos in general. No, I'm talking about the boxy all, Volvos, the 240, okay. the 740, the 760s. You know that whole series of. So I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, there that's, was I want the truth. A point in my life where oh, no. I bought a Volvo station wagon. And <laughs> I bought it because it was super cheap and I knew that I could flip it and make some money on it. And I owned it. <laughs> tell That's me why we have you in the show. Because there's suckers tell me, tell that are going to buy these cars. <laughs> tell me you sold it to Seaflow. That would be like the best so ever. So I sold it to Chris. No. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So I bought this car because I knew I was going to flip it. And uh, yeah, I fixed it up and I... Uh, I mean, that thing, I bet you that N600 would probably have beat it, like, in terms, it was so slow, and it was just so massive, and, like, those are the cars that, like, your, you know, grandparents are like, buy a Volvo station wagon, because they're they're safe. safe. Yeah, yeah, boxy, but good, yeah. You can totally use them in demolition derby and just kill people with them, so that's (laughs) (laughs) That's not really my MO, but, uh... (laughs) Well, I'm glad that we all agree that the 780 is a good-looking Volvo, as opposed to the other ones. Yeah. You know, it's got that yeah. Italian yeah. styling. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Which I don't know if the styling was... Not. Actually, well, so the previous Volvo wasn't it styled by the Swedes and built by the by, by the Italians. Anyway. Um, no, oh, we're just... We're, we're, when you need yeah, we're Seaflow. We're trying to, we're trying to get Seaflow <laughs> to like, call in. This is our attempt know, to this like... this is like Volvo, Volvo, exactly. We assumed he'd be listening live and he'd be calling in like drunk and yelling know, at exactly. us from we're Colorado. We're talking coach-built cars <laughs> yeah. and he doesn't have anything to say about it. Volvos, too. Volvos. All right. Well, his ears are bleeding somewhere. Yes, um, but that's not the car I'd buy, Vince. What? Come on, you know, you know, I'm a sucker for for the MGB, MGB GT. Exactly. That's that's you a beautiful know? car. Exactly. It's 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 only it's being offered less than ten grand, 
And uh, the pictures, I mean, you know, I know you can't tell from the pictures, but I mean, it looks like a great car. It's in great condition, especially um, for being located in Florida. So yeah, and and I, I in the in on the article in Daily Tourism, I compared that car to Frank Kugler, Kugler, oh, who yeah. was the the so uh, that's topical, right? And Olympian, he yes. is the most. Um, I would say he's the most decorated Olympian ever. Now he doesn't have the most medals. He doesn't have the most. Um, Does he have a medal? The most diverse. Any gold medals. <laughs> the most diverse. But here's what Frank, okay, he was a U.S. Olympian, I mean, German-born, it's hard to tell. He's, he did the Olympics in 1904, St. Louis Olympics, okay? But um, <laughs> he's the only competitor in history to have won medals in three totally different sports at one Olympics. And they were? Oh, uh, what did I say? Um, <laughs> freestyle wrestling, that was a silver medal in that. He won two bronze medals in men's weightlifting. And one bronze medal in men's tug of war. All of those are like strength, like. But like today, even if people do like, if one person they, they win, you know, at um, uh, some strength sport like weightlifting, they're not going to win a, a wrestling uh, yeah, medal that's as well. True. That's true. Because they're so specialized. You know, back yeah. then he was like this 1904 kind of strongman. Like you look at pictures of, of this guy, and he doesn't look like a strongman today, but he just looks like a guy wearing sweats with kind of fat and a big mustache. Big dude. <laughs> right. He was just a big guy, and he was able to do putt tug of war. And, but at the same time, it was sort of different sports. And that's something that you don't get today. Athletes are so like single yeah. function specialized. And the MGB, particularly the GT, was a multi-function car it could fit four people but at the same time it had a sporty attitude it was good looking it was classic but it was modern enough it, it sort of it's not a one-trick pony it's not a, a like an hypersport it's not some super fast car it's not a really expensive classic it's an affordable uh every man's it's 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 frank it's frank frank kugler come on it's like anyway. that was my that was my because it's olympics this week apparently yes i haven't yes. watched have you watched it's any the of the opening if, if today I, isn't yeah, it yeah if I, they're going on right well at least in our time zone, they're being broadcast right now. The only thing I saw was the guy with the fire extinguisher trying to extinguish the Olympic the Olympic flame. What? I saw some GIF on really? you know. It, I don't know if it was from oh. a previous Olympics, but I saw it. I'm and sure it looked it was. cool. <laughs> I was like, but some like security guard Brazil. Who knows? Mashed you know? down. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that people were using the Olympic torch to heat their homes in Brazil. So. <laughs> That's it's terrible. bad down there, man. That's terrible. Right? What do we got coming up, Vince? When we get back. Oh, we're taking a break. That's right. Um, we got about 30 seconds. When we get back from our break, our word from our sponsors, um, we are going to do Seaflow's news. What? There's no Seaflow. We're going to do the news then. <laughs> Sans Seaflow's. Ashley's fill in news. <laughs> That's right. Um, and then some calls if we get calls. Who knows? Maybe we do. Maybe we don't. And then um, that's it. Okay. Woo. So, uh, yes, exactly. We've been excited. <laughs> good times. Uh, so we'll do some news. So let's take a break. Then when we get back, we'll talk news. Listening to Daily Turismo Radio. 
Hey, DT listeners. This is a word for our sponsor, European Motorworks. They're here in Hawthorne, California. They specialize in Volkswagen Type 1 and Type 4 engines. European Motorworks is a full-service machine shop that smells of rich mahogany. They can perform all kinds of head work, porting, polishing, decking, CCing, valve jobs, line boring, crankshaft, grinding. They can even do inserts, pressing operations, connecting rod machining, and balancing. So if you feel a little out of balance, come down to European Motorworks and go see the owner, George Rodriguez. He'll make you a nice cup of cafe and uh, tell him DT Radio sent you for 15% off all your hard parts. Call 1-800-722-8678. Stay smooth, DT Radio listeners. Live from the DT Studios on Talk Radio 1, this is Daily Turismo Radio. Powered by EuropeanMotorWorks.com. Here's your hosts, Editor-in-Chief of Daily Turismo, Vince Barbary, Chris Florin, and Ashley DeLuca. Hey, hey, we're back. And the voice you were listening to a minute ago, that was John Barker. He's our uh, professional voiceover guy from the, uh, the land of the... What do you call it? We call it Jolly Old England these days anyway. Uh, he's a good guy, and we always like to give him a shout-out and tell him thanks for all the hard work and the the long hours he spends slaving away getting those things right. When producer Ben's always like yelling and saying, that's isn't right. He didn't pronounce that correctly. It Cracking. wasn't British enough. <laughs> he's always yelling at him. Yeah, he's a, he's a mean guy. Um, Thank you. And and I I mean, here, you know, uh, the the hosts on this show, we're always dealing with, with producer Ben, and it's uh, he's just, you know, He's just constant, like, to disapprove. Right. Look at his face. Where, where are we at? Where are we at? All right, Ashley. Oh, what? Ashley, oh. it's all you now. <laughs> Hosted by name. Ashley DeLuca. Yeah. <laughs> the show is slowly dwindling down to one person, and then we're going to build it back up, and my dog, dog's yes. going to come in as replacement for Chris and Vince. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, wait, we have Seaflow's News today, and... It's time it's for Seaflow's News. For Seaflow's <laughs> News. Well, I mean, we're calling it news. Don't interrupt my news segment, man. Seaflow's news. Seaflow. 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 Seaflow's news, not Ben's news. Seaflow's news, not Ben's news. Don't interrupt my news segment, man. Seaflow's news, not Ben's news. Seaflow's news, not Ben's news. I just know it's his news. Really, he has news. That never gets old. No, uh, that will never get so. So, since with no seaflow, Ashley has some news, but I also prepared some news because, well. That's it's still, it's still not Vince's news. I've got it's some news too, Ashley though. <laughs> I've got some news as well. Actually, well, I don't. I lied. We have, I have no so, so, so we're gonna have a news <laughs> off. We're, we're gonna have a news off, Vince. I, I'm the judge, by the way. Yes. I decide well, whose news is better. And remember, I have a mute. Spoiler button. alert. I have a mute. Spoiler button, alert, so. Ben. Yes. <laughs> I will decide, Vince. Keep, keep on wrenching. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. Almost. All right. Ashley, you want to go first? Okay. Sure. Think, wait. Wait. First of all, do you think your news? Is gonna beat my news? Because uh, I don't think so. Say, say yes. Don't yes. no. Okay. All right, <laughs> go news. Ahead. What's your first story? The news is the news. Um, so I have actually been looking into um, the new Focus RS, and um, because my dad is in the market for one right now, actually he's uh, 
he had a 98 Cobra and he sold it and now he's in the market for a new car. I didn't know your dad was a teenager. <laughs> I know. It's gone. Like, so. <laughs> I know. It goes from the Cobra to the RS. Yeah. 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 No, but I'm just saying like, you know, backwards baseball caps. I mean, come on. Yeah. He doesn't he, vape, does he? No. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't drive a Subaru. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brutal. Brutal. Cut, cut my mic. Go ahead. Cut my mic. Yeah. I'm done here. I'm done. Okay. So go ahead, Ashley. So the uh, Focus RS, actually, um, I don't know if they've made uh, an exclusively formal announcement right now, but they are currently holding all of the pre-orders for the car um, that were supposed to be delivered for the rest of 2016. And um, I guess there is a possible engine issue that has been um, quoted as, you know, needing engineering investigations to... I guess figure out what's going on, um, and I guess there's it's mostly just uh, you know from everybody they haven't really released anything formal yet, but it's mostly speculation about some sort of electronics issue or something like that. But um, yeah, basically all of the cars that have not already been delivered are currently on hold right now. So if you're looking to buy one, and I know that they were super anticipated coming out. Um, you know, everyone's been waiting. I mean, like I told my dad about it as soon as they like released it at the when did they first release the at the auto show or something like last year? Yeah. yeah. Hey, anyway, last yeah. Year. So, um, kind of. I, I guess it's good that they're working all the bugs out, but as of right now, unfortunately, you cannot get one until yeah that, until next year. That is very sad. That yeah. is that is sad I'm because sad. Th- that car looks like it's gonna be it's gonna be really fun to drive. Yeah, I mean, I want my dad to buy it so I can drive it. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, you know what? On that note, Ashley, uh, my first story is the direct competitor to to that would be the the new Civic R. Um, according to reports, Honda is going to finally bring it to the United States. <gasps> yes, and it's said to make 340 horse, horsepower. It's a uh, it's a two point it's yeah, it's a two point oh four cylinder engine turbocharged. Huh? It is it's going to stick with the six speed manual transmission and the front wheel drive. So Vince, if you had your choice between the two cars, which one are you going to drive? Um, the Subaru STI. <laughs> <laughs> Only kidding, because it comes I'm with a kidding. flat bill and a vape. Thing. No, um, <laughs> given choice between a. Focus and a Civic Type R. And before you answer, let me just the Civic Type R coming four door or two door. Let me just let me tell you this: that um, the Type R initially set a new front wheel drive world record at Nurburg. The Nurburg. You know what? Um, I prefer my um, my burgers to be on the plate, so because I don't (laughs) like to be understeer. And so uh, I'm going to go with the four-wheel drive car in this case, which is the Focus R. Sorry. And it's got drift mode. <laughs> it's got drift mode. You can't go wrong with drift mode. <laughs> Even though I would like to point out that Ford is basically 15 years late to the 300-horsepower turbocharged all-wheel drive party, which Subaru and, and, and Mitsubishi had like you know a decade, more than a decade ago. And now Ford's finally, oh, wait, this is a market? I can sell this? Oh, okay, let's put this together. It just seems... They were just waiting for the two two main guys to duke it out, and then they're like, "Oh, now there's only one, so I guess we can kind of get back into that market, <laughs> yeah, or something." Get I into mean, the market in the first place. Like, I don't know. It's weird. But it's it's almost. I think unfortunately, it's going to be like GM and the Solstice, right? So so GM brought together the Pontiac Solstice and the Saturn Sky, and it was this meotic, um competitor, right? It's a two seat lightweight roadster, um, and it arrived just too late. Remember, it lasted for like three years before. Pontiac and Saturn went out the door. And so this Focus RS, 
I think it's just it's so late to the game that it lasts a couple of years, but I don't think it's going to be like the new renaissance of you know all wheel drive hot hatch dumb. It's just I don't know. yeah, I agree. But it'll be a fun car. Yeah, totally. All right. It's time for Seaflow's <laughs> news. All right, Ashley, what's your second story? So, um, I actually was looking into a little bit. Uh, Mercedes is going to be releasing a new um, electric car, um, I guess, lineup. And they're going to be releasing it under a new subname that they haven't officially released yet. But um, from what the, um, I guess there was some insider source that was saying that um, it's going to be a multi-car lineup and that they uh, are looking into sport utility vehicles and possibly two sedans or um, I don't I don't know if they said if there's going to be any sports cars or anything. It's still kind of in the very, very early stages of the program. But um, yeah, I guess there's a, a whole lineup of new electric cars that are going to be coming out under the Mercedes name to kind of compete with the likes of I really Tesla hope they name it Edison. Because <laughs> I think that no, like, the right? Faraday Tesla, like they just like they're gonna pick. No, you know who's the German equivalent? I don't know. I don't know who that would be. I'm sure there's some German guy who was like big in like electronics back then. And yeah, they, that, that'll yeah. be what they name it after. <laughs> so yeah, I guess they said it would be kind of like a direct competitor towards like BMW's lineup, but they're planning to release the whole line before the end of the decade. Hmm. So that's like four cars before the end of the decade, all electric. So. They haven't really announced any sort of like power plant or anything, but they're also um, Mercedes' parent company, Daimler, is planning on um, creating its first all-electric heavy-duty delivery trucks as well, which I know that we talked a little bit about on the last show um, with like Tesla's interested in doing heavy, like you know, um, semi trucks or something. Not semi trucks, but like you know, large uh, long-haul trucks. So. Yeah, it seems like that's kind of the direction that all these car companies are going right now, and Mercedes is jumping in on the on the bandwagon. So, yeah, everybody loves the margins in the commercial vehicle um, market space. I mean, in a, in a passenger vehicle, if they make 25 percent margin, they're very happy. Um, but in commercial, you're making you know fifty percent profit margin. Yeah. So, yeah. if people see that and the, the bean counters get hold of that, they oh, <laughs> we should sell these. So. <laughs> Well, physics my, be damned. Yeah. My second story kind of relates to that a little bit. It's um, Tesla. Um, the <laughs> <laughs> Tesla. <laughs> Tesla is losing even more money. Um, it was reported they reported a net loss this last quarter of two hundred ninety three point two million dollars, or that's two dollars and nine cents a share. Um. The owner says there, well, Elon Musk says that it's because basically it takes too long to build a Tesla, essentially. Why? They're all yeah. custom made, though. So, I mean, exactly. they are, they're like built to order, right? Like you have to actually give them oh, specs before, right. you, before they create them. They're all. You're in yeah, seam yeah. and your leg size. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, 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 so talking to the shareholders, he tried to reassure them um, that the new Tesla production line that is now up and running is humming and they'll start be they'll start producing cars at a much faster rate. So um if they are able to start producing these cars at a faster rate and selling more of them, um, the price goes down, Vince, are you gonna buy one of the new affordable Teslas? 
No. And the reason why is wait, not wait, just but, because but, I'm a cheapskate, wait, but hold on. No, here's no. the reason why. What if the Tesla, what if it came with a flat bill and a vape pen and, <laughs> so, a, and a scoop on the hood just to make it look good? 300 horsepower, all-wheel drive. Now <laughs> yes. we're talking. Uh, no, see, the problem I have with the the new cheaper Teslas is that the way that they're getting um, or they're trying to get the profitability is by they're removing some of the perks. So today, if you have a, a Tesla and it goes in for maintenance, they give you a comparable car. Um, if you you have free access to supercharger stations, um, you get like limited like uh, unlimited uh, software updates and all these other kind of I'll say they're sort of perks because they're this expensive luxury car. Well, to make the Model X or whatever the the cheaper one is, they're having to remove some of those. So they're, they're going to say, okay, you don't get free supercharger access, you don't get unlimited software updates, you don't get um, the the same maintenance um, plans and the same you know mileage and warranty um, because they can't be affordable with um, that many more people and they'll not have to have too many supercharger stations. So, I mean, I, I understand that they're a business. That's what they have to do. But to me, if you're going to get some fancy, sexy-looking electric car, you want all those perks. Yeah. I agree. They actually had another um, crash in China. Um, oh. Like, the autopilot was on, hmm. and there was, like, a car stopped in the fast lane, and the guy had, like, you know, one of those little reflective triangles up, and the Tesla just, like... The guy, like, realized, like, right before he's about to hit the car, like, oh, crap, I'm going to hit this car. The autopilot's, like, not stopping. And then he, like, went to swerve and just, like, hit the corner. Ooh. And, yeah. so Fatality? No, no fatality. He didn't hit that hard. I think that the guy kind of caught it ahead of time, but just not fast enough to... I, I'm not impressed, then. Unless it's a fatality, <laughs> I'm not impressed. <laughs> but it was in Beijing, and I think that's where the Tesla... In, Tony, Tony Stewart wasn't in, driving. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, Tesla's headquarters in china or in beijing so i believe that they're handling it pretty pretty quickly since that's like kind of the hub of where everything is in china yeah a few people will spend their life in some chinese prison camp somewhere but you know it's <laughs> a small price to pay for progress <laughs> oh man okay so my story was better again oh what? <laughs> it's time for seaflow's news ben's news all right see all right ashley what do you got for your third story um, third story <clears throat> is, uh, so the Bristol Motors Company has officially announced that they are going to be releasing a new car called the Bristol Bullet, which, mm. uh, I don't know if you've seen a picture of it, but it's, uh, it looks, obviously, because I'm, you know, very fond of the old, uh, 60s slab side Cobras. It's very similar. It's got like the old British styling. They're kind of a quirky little car. And uh, anyway, they announced that they're, um, I guess, yeah, going to be producing those uh, with, what does it say? Do, do, do. Yeah, it's from like a aer- uh, aerospace company. And they're, you know, they went through all the aerodynamics and everything. Um, the powertrain's going to be a BMW 4.8 liter V8. Mm. So, um, yeah, I think it's going to be pretty cool. It's got a curb weight of uh, 2,400 pounds about. So, you know, it's going to be pretty high in terms of price point. But if, I don't know, the the car company, I guess, uh, used to produce a few cars back in the day and then they started to go under. But now this is kind of like their get back into the game car. And uh, I don't know if you take some... Uh, take a look at some of the pictures online. I think the car looks pretty nice. 
but it's also in the $300,000 range. So Ooh, yeah. not that I can afford it, <laughs> but You might buy three of them. Yeah. yeah you know, Bristol, classic Bristols um, are one of those cars where they look like a million dollars. They look like you'd think that they'd cost what a Ferrari would cost, but they're actually pretty cheap um, where, you know, uh, you could afford one. Yeah. Certain ones, certain models. Yeah. It just seems kind of cool. It's like a modern Cobra with like the modern amenities or something like that. Obviously, it's not, <laughs> you know, not a 60s car or anything like that. See, it's, it's a luxury car for that price, but I don't know, just something kind of new and unique. And there's nothing really out on the market that looks like it. So I like it. Her, her story's going to win. Oh, is it? Yeah. I'm actually pandering to Vince on this story. Oh, wow. Ah. <laughs> GM has announced well they haven't officially announced but all the, the reports pens are in their cars. <laughs> all the reports I are I don't understand this. <laughs> that um the 2019 Corvette is going to be a mid-engine Corvette. What? You know what? They talk about mid-engine Corvettes every couple of years people bring Hold this on, up. No, 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 no. Never, it's not going to be. No, no. Bob Lutz was hinting was was hinting about it. Um Bob Lutz doesn't work for GM anymore. I, he? Well, no, yeah, he actually he He's Bob Lutz back at GM. What did I, what did I miss? We're gonna get him on the radio show, by the way. No, he he. <laughs> <laughs> no, he retired as head of the global um, product development from GM in 2010, but he was the one who was talking about how they've been discussing this for a while, and that it looks like they're gonna go ahead and release it in 2019. And switching from the the from a from a front mid-engine layout would also entail engineering a new chassis, creating a new transaxle transaxle to drive the rear wheels, developing a new cooling system, air conditioning system, suspension system, and designing an all-new body. Now, Vince, being a Corvette honk that you are, um, what do you think uh, of of GM going the the route of, like, Ferrari and Lamborghini with the midsize engines for some of the newer cars? You're talking about mid-engines or mid-size engines? Mid-engines, sorry. Um, So, you know... I don't think the Corvette will go to a mid-engine car. I think it's too iconic. It's too um, much of the too, too much history, and there's too many like sort of stuffy old people. It's, it's like the it's the 911. 911, <coughs> excuse me, will never go um, to you know mid-engine or front engine. It's a rear-engine car. That's its setup. There's too many purists. There's too many purists in the organization that build it. There's too many purists who like the car. Um, I don't think the Corvette will ever but go. They, they, GM they, might can, come out with it's, another it's car. Still, according to the story, it's still going to be a. V, it's going to be a a V8. So here's the thing I'd like to point out is that today you can go into a Ford dealer and you could try to buy a 2017 Ford GT. Now you can't because they're already they've all been sold already. So no matter how much money you have, you can't get one. Um, but Ford offers a it's two hundred thousand dollar car or something. Um, and if you go talk to GM, the most expensive sports car you can buy is the Corvette Z06 with the Z07 package, and and it's maybe a hundred, hundred ten thousand dollars. Yeah, this is supposed to start at a hundred, is what they said. So it wouldn't surprise me if GM offered a car that was sort of a they might call it the Corvette GT, or they they might try to build off the because I don't even think that they say it says Chevrolet on a Corvette anymore. I think Corvette is sort of its own make and model in the GM sort of mindset. So they might offer a Corvette, you know, mid-engine. So it's sort of a Corvette Plus. Um, but it's, it won't replace and supersede the Corvette, which is a V8 front-mounted into a transaxle and you know fiberglass body. But I, but I, it wouldn't surprise me if they released something that's more expensive. There's always a market for that. There's always rich people who want to buy fast cars. 
and why but shouldn't still GM call, sell but, but still calling it a Corvette is that like like you said I don't is think there they're going to they're not going to I don't think they'll it, replace the Corvette. Corvette sacrilege I think there's too many guys who are 50 and want that American dream sports car and will plunk down the 50 or 60 or whatever will be 70 grand for a regular Corvette and I think if you made them all mid-engined they would just go buy um, you know a uh, Ford Mustang, Shelby GT500, or, or whatever. They would they would go somewhere else where they could do, get their big burnout machine. If they could buy an El Camino, they would. And so if you told me there was an El Camino Corvette, out, then I'm signing up for that. <laughs> We're on this like weird El Camino kick recently. Yes. <laughs> it's not recent. <laughs> an El Camino Corvette. No, uh, I, I don't want to make a penis sized joke, but there is one in there somewhere. <laughs> so, like, maybe a competitor to like the Ford GT, if they did mm-hmm. like a you know mid rear engine type car, they don't really have any direct competitor to that, but they would probably have to up their game a little bit in the supercar market to do something like that. It's not really a hypercar, right? They're yeah, trying to build, yeah. yeah, not build it off of like an existing. They would have to come up with like a new, with a whole new platform. Yeah, we wouldn't yeah. Just... yeah, it's not a Corvette anymore at that point in time. Yeah, you know, it's it's so different. And if you look at, I think that they have um, mid-engine Corvettes that race, and they call them Corvettes, and they kind of the front end looks Corvetteish, but they race in some Le Mans class, and it's a mid-engine car because that's what the class is, and it's a prototype class, mm-hmm. and so it's it's got a Corvette engine mounted in the middle of some prototype chassis, and then it kind of it's styled to look like a Corvette in the front. So if they then said, okay, this is a street version of that, you know, and they'll call it the Corvette Le Mans or whatever they'll call it, it's not a Corvette. It's a different car. Yeah, I agree. It's time for Seaflow's <laughs> News. For Seaflow's News. Well, I mean, we're calling it news. <laughs> All right, okay. So, so what, do you, what do you think of the last stories, Vince? Uh, they were both good. I give it a tie. <laughs> we're both talking about cars that are out of everybody's budget, so... Yes. <laughs> Um, although if if I had to buy one, I'm gonna go to Bristol. Over a mid. It's wacky. Really? Yeah, it's wacky. I would. Pretty cool. Like the prototype thing that they have is like orange interior. It's like they built this. Like it's super. Yeah. You're gonna get muted, Ashley. I'm gonna get muted. muted. Come on, look it up. (laughs) You're gonna look it up and then you're gonna want one and then you're gonna be like, I'm sorry, I muted your mic. (laughs) (laughs) She gets muted for talking back. Uh, who put who put it in front of the soundboard is what I want to know. Like this is you know, um, okay, that's all the time that we had today. Um, and um, I'd like to. What do we got coming up next week? Oh yeah, that's right. Um, so next week, um, we have Doug Malwicky. He is a very interesting character. He's going to be in the studio. He's going to talk to us about. The Robosaurus or Canosaurus. It's this big uh, robot that yeah, crushes tell, cars. Yeah, tell everyone who dug, how Snake he River famous. Canyon Jump. There you go. Exactly. He's some engineering he was the for engineer Evil Knievel. He engineer for Evil Knievel on the Snake River Canyon he, Jump. And he was, he's, um, he's an, you know, he's, he's an older fellow and he was just at, um, celebrating a birthday at, uh, the base camp of Everest. Okay. And, and this guy was born in like the thirties. Yeah. Okay. He was, yeah. he was drinking Everest beer. <laughs> And it, anyway, he is a really fantastic character, and we're gonna get him in the studio. We're gonna maybe we'll get him some beer, and um, we're gonna talk about about cars, about um, Snake River Canyon, wh- whatever um, about this uh, public transit thing that he's always been working on, um, SkyTram, and other stuff. It's it's just it'll be it'll be fun. You guys, if you're gonna listen to a DT radio show, that's gonna be a good one. Um, 
Well, and, you should be listening to all of them. Right, right yes, but. yes. Well, Dan listens to all of them. I'm not, I'm not sure. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Anybody else? Thanks, Dan. Um, we just need you to download it on about 300 more devices. <laughs> 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 and then um, we've got some more people that we're talking to. Obviously, you know, getting on the show. Um, and we're still trying to finalize our Absolution Brewery remote. Yeah, yeah so, so we're, we're going to do a updated. live show. Um, and we'll let you guys know via the website and via our various social media channels when that's going to happen so you can come down and throw stuff at us in person instead of just at your um, imaginary us on a dartboard while you're listening to the show. Um, so uh, with that in mind, um, I'd like to th- thank um, Steve Leto for calling us up and talking to us for about 30 minutes about his book. Um, you can see him on Leto Law's, uh, Leto's Law dot com and um also like to um he has a book signing coming up right yeah i was gonna say he has a there's a car show in troy michigan and he's going to be streaming that live on the road and track facebook so you can watch him do a book signing streaming live on facebook um i don't understand how that works and maybe i'll just do it maybe i'll stream live and watch him on on the facebook while he's uh doing his car show but um should be fun. Should be interesting. And if you're in Troy, Michigan, um, just head to letoslaw.com and you can find all find out about it. Uh, next, I'd like to thank um, Ashley for uh, being my co-host today, filling in C-Flo for CFLO. <laughs> He's out, yeah. Um, thanks to George Rodriguez for being our uh, producer. And thanks to Keep On Wrenching, Ben. <laughs> Keep On Wrenching. You're a jerk, Vince. You've been listening to Daily Turismo Radio. You can follow the show on Facebook at Facebook forward slash Daily Turismo and on Twitter at Daily Turismo. Use the hashtag DT Radio. 